Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. This week, it's Austin Parr from Discount Fishing Tackle filling in for Terry Wickstrom. He's on assignment down in Florida. The lucky guy is getting to hopefully do some fishing today. Heard that they had a little rain yesterday, but uh, today we have a beautiful show lined up for you. I'm going to be giving you some good reports about Metro Lakes and how the walleye and smallmouth fishing is going. We have multiple guests from CPW talking about some great topics, everything from uh, the new Take a Friend hunting contest. We have Dale Merritt from Bear Point Kennels. And then in the second hour, we're going to really get into a bunch of fishing. We're going to talk to Nate Zelensky. We're going to get some reports from Crowley Marine and, and Central Wyoming Walleye Lakes, as well as uh, some South Platte reports from the Blue Quill Angler. So to start with here, though, We've been out on a lot of Metro Lakes lately, and the walleye action has still been really, really good out there. And, um, you know, what's interesting about this particular year in particular is that we are seeing, even though we're getting hotter now, it's been a very, very cold uh, springtime, and it's really taking a lot of the bait fish. It's taking them a lot longer to develop this year, and we're just barely, barely, barely starting to see these bait fish uh, come out into these lakes right now. And the fishing has still been absolutely fantastic. So, for instance, out at Cherry Creek yesterday, uh, the walleye action, the, the fish, what you're looking for is really to find these fish tight to structure out there. And whether you're fishing from the shore or you're fishing from a boat, finding these fish on structure points is really key. Now, yesterday, uh, the fish really weren't keyed in on the shad bite at all out at Cherry Creek. And we were noticing that they were still eating a lot of insect life out there. So uh, there, there's these little insects called chironomids, and a chironomid is uh, a, a, the adolescent form of a, a, a lake midge that comes off out there. And, and these walleyes are eating the heck out of those, and they were really, really dialed into the bait bite yesterday. So if you're heading out there, uh, whether it be today or tomorrow or next week, really look for a lot of the fish that are really tight to structure points, and you're looking to cast these fish utilizing your live bait action. So whether it be a crawler on a jig or a leech on a jig, or if you find some fish that are a bit more spread out, adjusting yourself and going to a lindy rig rather than casting them can be effective to cover a little bit of ground. So Cherry Creek, as I mentioned, we're going to start to see some shad coming pretty quickly, but for the time being... Working that bait bite has been been really good. Now, as we move into the next couple of weeks and start seeing a lot of those shad come out into that lake, techniques that are some of my favorite techniques to fish are a blade bait or a jigging wrap. Trying to imitate a dying bait fish rather than trying to feed them something can be more effective. But for the time being, the bait bite out there has been really productive. Now, shifting over to Chadfield, a lot of people that come in a discount fishing tackle like going to Chadfield with where the location is, and, and I tend to spend a little bit more time at Cherry Creek myself over the past several years, but Chadfield really is starting to pick back up uh, from some of the the, the negative at impacts that we had from the flood uh, in 2015. But at Chadfield, we're starting to see fish really pile up and, and finally starting to see fish pile up. This year has been funny in the fact that a lot of fish have been spread out uh, for the majority of the springtime season. But fishing the, the basic roadbeds out there, whether it be your, your standard east-west roadbed or your northeast and southwest roadbed, both of which sit in about 17 feet of water. And that tends to be a pretty key depth at Chatfield, whether it be that 15, 16, 17-foot range. That, that lake's a little bit more clear than Cherry Creek is due to the fact that it's getting consistent flows coming from the South Platte River. And when that water is a little bit more clear, a lot of times those walleyes will sit in slightly deeper water. So, you know, we're fishing in that, that little bit deeper range at 
Chatfield, whereas at Cherry Creek yesterday, the the bite in seven feet of water, even six feet of water was was absolutely fantastic. But typically, although sometimes it can happen, you're going to be looking for a little bit uh, fish in a little bit deeper water out at Chatfield. Now, Cherry Creek, as does as as Chatfield as well, but Cherry Creek has very tight structure points that these fish will sit on. Whereas right now we're seeing the fish at Chatfield uh, in quite a bit more wide open uh, water conditions as far as the structure points are concerned. So rather than sitting on a one specific structure point, they're extended along the entire roadbed. So they're still up on top of that roadbed right now, but you're finding them on a big expanse over, you know, a half a mile or so. And when that happens, uh, moving over those fish rather than trying to sit still and have them come to you a lot of times is, is a really effective way to go. So the bait bite still is productive out there right now with the lack of shad in the lake. So a lindy rig type technique with a live leech or a crawler harness uh, on a bottom bouncer can both be really productive out there. But if you do find fish tighter to structure points, I have been finding fish eating some of those aggressive snap jigging type presentations. So instead of fishing, uh, you know, a jig and a leech, which still will work, they're really starting to uh, really respond to a jigging wrap or a blade bait out there. And snapping those j- those jigging wraps and kind of scooting those blade baits along the bottom, both have been very effective. But if you like fishing soft plastics, if you like fishing, um, you know, any of your, your spoons, your jigging spoons right now, if you like fishing bait, right now is the time to get out there when we're dealing with Metro Lakes. So it is, the bite is absolutely still on and, and getting out there and targeting the walleyes is, is a good thing to do right now. But even if you don't want to target walleyes, the smallmouth bass are biting all across the front range right now as well. Chatfield to start with. Fish are all over the dam face, and it does take a bit to get through some of those smaller fish in there, but there are really nice smallmouth in that lake. Try maybe a Sanko on a wacky rig, uh, fished up shallow. Even as shallow as two or three feet of water along that dam face can be really productive. But then as you uh, move into a little bit deeper water, there's still fish that are sitting on the edges of those rock piles. So fishing a drop shot rig uh, with uh, a, a little... A drop shot worm up on top, such as like a robo worm has been fishing really well. Uh, craws on Texas rigs, like a, a zoom speed craw is a really good bet right now uh, in about a three-inch bait. A little bit smaller profile baits are really good out there. And then another bait that's really come on fire in the industry, and we have sell a ton of them down at the store, are, are a Ned rig from Z-Man. There's multiple plastics you can put on them, but the unique factor about a Ned rig plastic is the fact that it really floats. So it's called a Laztec. And you put it on a jig head, and when it actually floats, the, the, the plastic, whether it's the claws on a craw or the little Ned Rig worms, they'll float up, and the jig head takes it all the way to the bottom. And you can scoot it along the bottom with that plastic floating all the way up top. And the smallmouth really respond to that well. And that's another really good technique to fish out there. Also, if you're fishing in the early morning or late evening, a topwater bite is definitely something to not overlook. Whether you like fishing a spook or a little popper, I like a Rebel Pop R quite a bit. Uh, it has a nice deep cup on the lip, and that, that deep cup tends to throw more of a bubble of water rather than splashing water. And that deep cup, those smallmouth really respond to. Now, keep in mind, if you're fishing topwater, make sure when that fish eats it, you have to give them a second before you set that hook. If you set that hook immediately, it's very difficult, and you'll, you'll miss many of the fish. But additionally, with topwater action, you do miss fish every once in a while. So I like to have a rod sitting on my deck that has something else on it. So if I miss a fish on topwater, I'll reel it up really quick and cast a Ned Rig or maybe a tube jig over to where that fish blew up. And you can a lot of times have those fish come back and eat that secondary jig. So if you have a co-angler in the boat or if you just have yourself out there, that can be a really good way to go. But Chatfield and Cherry Creek are both fishing well right now. 
shifting over to Aurora in the metro area, the walleye action has been definitely a little bit slower out there. That lake is very gin clear water, and many of the walleyes that are coming out, although there haven't been many, have been coming out in a little bit deeper water in that 25 to 30 foot range off some of those points. And that does sound really deep, and it kind of is, but uh, but Aurora has been definitely tough. Uh, some bass have still been up in and around the trees, but that lake for the most part has been a bit more slow from all the reports that we've been getting. Now, as you move out to the northeastern lakes, northeastern lakes are still fishing really well right now. Uh, with how much water that we've had this year, a lot of the water levels are still holding pretty consistent out there. However, we are going to start seeing water levels drop. So for the time being, at places like Sterling or Jumbo or Pruitt, you're able to fish really shallow and fish along your weed lines. Now, there's a type of, of weed out there called American Pondweed that's growing up this time of year, and it has fairly thick stalks to it. So fishing along the outside edges of that American Pondweed or physically up in the trees itself is a very productive way to go. And when you find fine fish in the trees... I like a, a walleye assassin swim bait in a four inch size. I, I'll put a, typically a VMC moon eye jig on there and you can cast and roll that through those trees. And when you do that, you really can, can cover a lot of water and have those fish react to it. But if you're finding fish on the outside edges of your weeds or a little bit of areas that are um, you know, not quite as, as snaggy, fishing a blade bait or a jigging wrap can be really productive. Uh, in places like Sterling, the water uh, clarity is a little bit more off-color at the moment. And that more off-color water, typically uh, blade bait is going to work better for you due to the fact that you have that heavy vibration. But if you are fishing in a place like Jumbo, uh, using more of your jigging wraps and that really clear water can be productive when those fish come out of those trees. Now, keep in mind, we're starting to see a few shad out in some of those lakes right now. Um, they're not really heavily on those shad at the moment, but with that being said, when the water level starts to drop and those shad come out over the open water, remember wherever you're fishing walleyes in this state, you have to start ignoring all the presentations that we've been catching fish on over the last two months or so. The, the Lindy rig is going to stop working. Uh, jigging a leech is going to stop working. Uh, you're not going to catch any fish on any of those. And even swim baits a lot of times aren't going to work very well. When those shad come out, those fish are going to chase those shad up high in the water column. And I will typically adjust my techniques from a casting technique to a trolling technique. So I am putting little crankbaits. I really like a Salmo Hornet, uh, small flicker shads, particularly shallow diving flicker shads. That's a new one that Berkeley came out with this past season. Um, but the shallow flicker shads are really productive, but you put them behind a planer board and you troll them over the open water and you kind of ignore your structure points. You're, you're simply looking for open water and marking a lot of fish. So I'm going to move over that open water. Now, when those fish are chasing those shad in the midday, a lot of times in the early morning and late evening, they'll push those shad a lot shallower. And when you have those shad shallower, they're still not going to eat that, that leech. They're not going to eat the lindy rig. They aren't going to eat the worm. So when you are finding fish a little bit shallower, that's when I'm really fishing those jigging wraps. And even in the heat of the summer, a jigging wrap and a size 7 or a little quarter ounce Johnson Thin Fisher this time of year is really productive. So that jigging wrap, I'm aggressively snapping. The blade bait, I'm working a little bit slower. But you're going to work all these things in that shallower water, and then you're going to have your, um, you're going to have the trolling applications a little bit deeper. But if anybody has any other questions, once again, this is Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle filling in for Terry Wickstrom uh, as Terry's out on assignment. But uh, Discount Fishing Tackle is six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. We have an absolute huge selection of walleye tackle and every other amount of tackle for that matter, whether you're targeting trout or you're targeting fly fishing or, or bass on the conventional side. 
even live bait. We have everything down there, and I'm down there a lot. So if anyone has any questions, we're going to obviously go through a lot of stuff down here today. But if anyone has any follow-up questions on any of these topics, please feel free to come down and stop down at Discount Fishing Tackle, 2645 South Santa Fe Drive. So we're about time for a break here. Coming up next, we're going to have talk about uh, the Take a Friend Hunting Contest, which is a new contest from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. This is Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat Parks me on a lot of peaches. This is Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and this is Austin Parr filling in for Terry while he is on assignment. We're going to go right to the phones. We have Jason Deach from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And Jason, we're going to talk about the Take a Friend Hunting Contest. Excellent. Thanks, Austin. Absolutely. How are you doing this morning? Very good. It's a beautiful day. Absolutely. So tell me about this contest. It sounds like a great, absolutely great way to get some, some adults maybe into the field. That's right. We're super excited about this new contest that we're offering beginning this year. Um, and it stemmed from the idea that, you know, the Hunter Outreach Program has done a pretty darn good job uh, through seminars, clinics, and, a, and, a, and mentored hunts uh, geared towards youth. But we realized that we're missing some of that low-hanging fruit, which is our, our adults and especially young adults. Um, and so this, this contest goes directly um, towards adult mentorship and, and, and with an incentive mixed in there, uh, hence the contest. Absolutely. So, you know, you talk about the, the youth outreach programs, and those are absolutely great to get youth into the field. But, you know, when, when we're talking about some of these adults, they're really able to get themselves out in the field a little bit more. But talk about the contest a little bit and, and, and what kind of incentives they have in order to get some of these adults into the field. Yeah, that's right. We, we realized with the adults uh, that, you know, they have something that children don't. They have, they have uh, a career where they have annual income and annual leave, a vehicle, transportation, which is definitely gives, a, you know, should make us pause and think, man, we should, we should try to do something to cater to incentivizing folks to get them out there. So how this program works is um, there's a mentor and a mentee, and the mentor has to, uh, both of them have to be at least 18 years old when they enter the contest. Um, the contest will open in August, and it'll end the end of February. Um, and the mentor has to be at least 18, has to have hunted at least three out of the last five years in Colorado. And the mentee um, has to have never hunted in Colorado, hunted for the first time last year, or hasn't hunted in the past five years. So that would be the reactivation part of the recruitment retention reactivation R3 model. So uh, we're going after those folks. Um, they also have to um, take a picture from the experience. Has to be an original picture. Doesn't have to include them or or an animal. Just has to be about the experience. And then they also have to write up a hundred word or less narrative about the experience. Um, and then the, the big qualifiers here are that the mentor has to take the mentee out on at least three separate occasions in Colorado. One of which must be on an actual hunt. So. Um, you can do hunting three times, or you could take them uh, and teach them other skills that they need in order to hunt to kind of gain that that confidence. Like um, you could take them to a, a sporting goods store um, to buy appropriate gear. Um, you could take them to a range to sight in archery or, or rifle equipment or shotgun. Um, you can teach them how to process uh, wild game, how to cook wild game, uh, land navigation or scouting, uh, preseason scouting. All these things would count. Um, towards those three occasions. Uh, and then they just have to apply online, 
the, the web page that they're going to go to, there's, there's a couple different ways to get there, but um, cpw.state.co.us slash take a friend. Um, so that's, that's the direct route. So cpw.state.co.us forward slash take a friend. Um, if you've never been to the Hunter Outreach page, it's cpw.state.co.us slash Hunter Outreach. And then from that page, you can see some of the other stuff we have going on. And you'll also see another, another link there where you can get back to the Take a Friend. Um, but we're, we're super excited about this contest. We have um, a lot of prizes. A lot of partners have pitched in. Um, and uh, I can talk about some of those prizes if you'd like. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. All right, perfect. So uh, we're going we're gonna to be drawing prizes um, a few times throughout the contest duration. So uh, the first one will be the end of October. The next one will be the end of December. And the next one, the, the last one, will be the end of February because we want to make sure to include all those trapping seasons too. That's another thing that's cool about this program is um, – that you could take them small game hunting, big game hunting, trapping, uh, whatever. We just want to get them out there and, and get them interested in it. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so some of the prizes, uh, just to name a few here, we've got um, a $500 gift card to Shields, $500 gift card to Sportsman's Warehouse, $600 gift card to Bass Pro, um, $100 gift, shark, uh, gift card to Shields, $100 gift card to Sportsman's Warehouse, $100 gift card to Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, we've got 600 bucks worth of Sitka gear. Uh, from Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, we've got some cool packs, Mystery Ranch packs, uh, which are awesome packs. We've got some Yeti coolers. Um, so um, some really good prizes because obviously we're trying to uh, we're trying to entice entice all you guys out there, guys and gals, to take someone out, and we, we get it. Everyone's busy. Um, so we figure if we can provide a little bit of incentive, um, you know, maybe you can find the time to uh, find a little bit more time to take those folks out on a few occasions because, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, me alone, I'm, I'm, I'm one guy that runs the statewide hunter outreach oh, yeah. program. And then there's plenty of uh, game wardens out there and folks with the agency that, that help out as well um, with outreach. And I'm sure I know some of them have been on, on the program before. Um, but, but again, we need to, we're look, trying to find new ways, new ideas to scale up our reach um, beyond what, what we can do. Um, and the best way to do that is, is, uh, with the public's help for sure. Well, and it's, it's really important to get anyone out hunting, whether it's a kid or, or whether it's your friend or, or anybody, because there's really going to be a funding gap coming up here as far as, as conservation and, and wildlife management, because there's a whole generation of hunters that are going to be being eliminated from the field here pretty soon. And, and without getting some of these younger generations into the field, uh, there could potentially be some issues later on down the road. Yeah, that's right, Austin. We we know that, you know, by looking at a lot of the statistics, we can see that in the next 10 years or so, we're going to be losing a lot of the boomer generation um, just because there there comes a point where folks get too old and they just don't, they just, they, it's not that they don't want to, but they're not physically able to anymore. Um, and, and they're a big generation, but there's other generations out there, the uh, millennial generation, the iGen or Gen Z generation, where we have a lot of folks out there um, that haven't been exposed um, they just haven't, they didn't grow up with, with that tradition or heritage. No one taught them how to do it. Absolutely. Um, and so it can be pretty intimidating um, out the gate unless you have that, that someone to show you um, how, like, like most of us did, uh, to, uh, to get out there in the field and gain that confidence to know, you know, oh, man, I just, I just harvested a deer. I just harvested an elk. Now what? Even now if what? it's a squirrel yep. or a grouse, now what? You yep. know, and, and that uh, it's a, it can be pretty intimidating for someone who has, has no clue. Absolutely. <laughs> 
So one more time before we have to go, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks uh, where you could find information on the Take a Friend Hunting Contest. You bet. So it, it's on the back of our big game brochures. So if you have the paper copies of our brochures, you'll see the Take a Friend ad there on the back cover of that. Uh, and then the webpage is cpw.state.co.us slash takeafriend. And uh, really hope you guys help us make this uh, make this program a success. Absolutely. Jason, we certainly appreciate you coming on. You bet. Take care. Thank you. Once again, this is Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle filling in for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. When we come back, we're going to talk to Brad Petch about bear-proofing your home. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. This is Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle in Denver filling in for Terry while he is in Florida at the moment. Um, but we're going to go right to the phones. Uh, we have Brad Petch, who is the senior wildlife biologist for the Northeast region for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And Brad, bears as of late have been starting to be a problem in Colorado, haven't they? You know, they have, Austin. And it, it's it's been a long-term trend. Um, but over recent years, we've we've seen what appears to be increasing bear populations and, as a result, increasing conflicts with people across the state. Um, that that occurs here in the northwest region um, and then then also in the front range communities and and our mountain communities across the state absolutely and you know with so many people wanting to to live in the mountains, you have to imagine that that bears and and people are are at an all time high as far as uh, being connected together It does seem that way you know for a number of years, we would see bear conflicts spike when food conditions were poor uh, when weather conditions were poor, and increasingly we 've seen that become an every year event. Um, that that just increases the level of conflict, the level of concern, and the and the opportunity for things to go badly as humans and bears are in contact. Absolutely, and you know this year may not be a poor food year, but what are some of the other issues that you may be finding that could potentially attract a bear into a residence? You know, there's several things. The the uh, you know it, it, a food failure in the in the backcountry. Um, an, a late frost that kills the berries sure. or a drought circumstance certainly increases the difficulties. We see bears being highly attracted to town almost every year because of the quality of the human food sources they can find in, in neighborhoods and around commercial areas. Uh, you know, we think when, when something goes in the garbage, we've gotten all the use out of it we can. But that that garbage, those human food sources – and other things they may find around your residence can be very attractive to bears. They're highly nutritious and and pound for pound often provide more quality or more nutrition for a bear than than they can get off off wild foods. Absolutely. And you know, bears, you know, at least I have always heard that their sense of smell is even greater than that of some of the the dog breeds that have some of the best sense of smells like a bloodhound or a labrador or anything like that. That is true. Bears can pick up scents and, and work them in from as much as a mile away uh, to to something that they may find attractive. Uh, they have a very strong sense of smell, um, and it, it probably, of all their senses, is the one that's most attuned. Uh, their eyesight's not terrific. Their hearing is is you know, certainly in advance of ours, but uh, but it is their sense of smell that that allows them to to know what's going on in their environment. Absolutely. Once again, we have Brad Petch on from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, who's a senior wildlife biologist, the Northwest region in Colorado. And, um, you know, so what are some folks, what are things some, some homeowners can do to, to potentially reduce some of these bear conflicts? 
you know, many of the things that, that we have around our residences are, are attractive to bears. We've talked about garbage a little bit, and that, that certainly is first and foremost the thing we see bears get into conflict with most quickly. Um, that's trash cans left on the street, you know, a night before or a couple of days before the pickup. Um, it can be dumpsters that aren't properly secured. Uh, so, so garbage is a big thing, um, but it, it goes deeper than that. Uh, barbecue grills that are left out uh, that still contain the, the, the strong scent of the meal that was cooked on them. Uh, bird feeders, both seed feeders and hummingbird feeders. Um, even even food that's in freezers um, in an easily accessible space can be very attractive to bears. Um, so so much of of the the uh, the stuff we might have around our houses can be attractive. Almost anything that has a sweet scent or a, a you know a, a scent that that mimics some food source can be very attractive to them. Absolutely. So it sounds like you know if someone's in a mountain type environment with potentially bears around maybe locking up some trash. You know, this is kind of a, a timely topic. One of my good friends lives up Coal Creek Canyon and has been having mm-hmm. bear issues in his neighborhood over the past little bit here. And um, he's actually built, uh, you know, an enclosure around some of his trash cans. Right. And I, I'm sure glad to hear that, Austin. The, there are a number of things landowners can do, homeowners can do, to make their property less attractive to bears. First and foremost, it's it's what you described. It, it's preventing bears from getting access to those those attractive nuisances. Uh, locking up their trash, keeping the trash in the garage until just before the the pickup, um, uh, keeping the the garage doors closed and and properly secured. Um, it also goes to the house itself. Um, bears are notoriously good climbers, and they're inquisitive. They they are used to, to getting into small spaces, and they're very good at opening doors, at opening windows. Um, if there's access to an upper deck, you know, a tree next door with, with good limbs to climb, um, they can get into the second story and, and push open a sliding door that's not secured or, or go through an open window. Um, so, so keeping house windows, house doors, car windows closed, keeping the doors secured, doors locked, um, can make it much more difficult for a bear to gain access and and you know, this makes it much less attractive to the bear. Absolutely. So say you're doing everything, you know, you, you have all your tr- garbage locked up, you're putting away the bird feeders at night, all that kind of stuff we've discussed, and bears are mm-hmm. still coming around. Is there something that, that landowners and, and homeowners can do to potentially discourage them, maybe a, a physical deterrent? There there are. Uh, you know, the the biggest thing, the most useful thing when, when bears are, are seen around a residence is to, to make all sorts of racket. Um, you know, lights if it's night can be helpful too. Uh, beating on pots and pans, yelling, um, you know, lots of, of noise and activity. Bears are, they, they don't make a very good living when they're actively in conflict with with people or with, with uh, say, dogs. Sure. Um, and so, so those noises will, in most cases, cause a bear to leave the area. Um, if a bear is, is coming in repeatedly, um, the kinds of things, you know, you mentioned fencing off, um, very attractive things can be a, a good deterrent in the long run. For residences that are left vacant for long periods of time, mountain cabins that, that someone may only visit on a weekend, there are some other things that can help keep bears away from those easily accessible doors and windows. Um, there's some information on, on the Parks and Wildlife website about how to build a, a bear board, a, a physical deterrent that 
It's generally made of plywood or some other thin wood with with protruding nails or screws that sure. that makes it uncomfortable for a bear to to try to press that door or that window. Yeah, um, and those can be very effective uh, in in keeping bears away from structures that aren't commonly used. Perfect. So before we let you go here, um, and if someone's looking to have some additional information on how to bear-proof their home, uh, where can they go on the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website? There is a lot of information on our website. Uh, our Colorado Parks and Wildlife website is cpw.state.co.us. The, uh, if you click on the Learn tab, uh, you'll see a variety of, of uh, uh, links there. Look for Living with Wildlife, and that opens up. Um, a page that, that gives you information on bears, on lions, coyotes, any number of other things you may encounter in a, in a rural uh, living setting. Uh, lots of information there. Much of what we've talked about this morning, um, there's a great checklist there for how to you know, check in to see whether your trash and your car and your home are, are adequately protected. Perfect. Well, I certainly appreciate you coming on. This is a, a very important topic to make sure we keep bears and humans safe. Brad, we certainly appreciate you coming on. It's good to be with you this morning, Austin. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much. Once again, this is Austin Parr from Discount Fishing Tackle, and you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and this is Austin Parr with Discount Fishing Tackle filling in for Terry while he is on assignment in Florida. We're going to go right to the phones right now. We have Dale Merritt with Bear Point Kennels in Colorado. Dale, how are you doing? Doing great, Austin. Absolutely. So, you know, we've been talking about a little bit of fishing so far this morning. We're going to continue to do that later on. Um, but, you know, when you're, you're thinking about this in the middle of summertime, you don't necessarily think about dog training. And with you being a professional dog trainer and operating a Labrador breeding kennel in Colorado – what are some of the important aspects that a bird hunter might need to think about this time of year when they're trying to prepare a dog for the season? Well, one of the biggest things uh, we see in the industry is on the off season, folks let their dogs get overweight. Absolutely. That's probably the number one health issue when it becomes hunting season in the fall is they start off the season overweight and then the dogs overheat and you have health issues. So it's key to keep your dog in condition and not let them get overweight in the off season. Absolutely. And you know, it's something that's easy to do. You know, the, the dog could potentially be hanging out on the couch or, or not getting exercise. And, and, you know, obviously as you get into the early part of the season, that heat can really be hard on them. Yes, it can. Uh, dogs, pant you know they don't sweat people think when it's cold outside they don't need as much water a dog needs as much water when it's 20 degrees as when it's 80 degrees so carrying water in the field with you at all times um, is another essential asset to the safety of your dog out there absolutely so once again we're talking with dale Merritt. he's one of the owners at bear point kennels one of the premier pointing labrador kennels uh, in the entire nation uh while we got a second here uh, talk to us just a little bit about your kennel and then we'll get back to maybe some drills that some of these folks may need to be thinking about with their dogs absolutely um we've been around since the mid 90s um running bear point kennel the wife Brenda Merritt and myself um, run the kennel. Uh, we run our Labradors through AKC trials, um, HRC trials, and American Pointing Lab trials. 
we have a breeding program. We put titles on. Um, we offer some training back to our clientele um, with the dogs. Uh, like I said, I've been breeding since the mid-90s. Um, have produced multiple 4X Grandmasters in the American Pointing Lab Association and AKC Master Hunters over the years. But our primary target is the family hunting dog. Absolutely. Um, that's the key to our program is to breed for that disposition. Um, less than 5% of our dogs actually do trial. Most of 95% is the family hunting dog. And so to have the ability to kick on the switch and go out and hunt, but yet come home and be part of the family and socialize and be a good citizen is so important with all the dogs. Absolutely. And, you know, being mindful about that when purchasing a Labrador is obviously something that is uh, very critical because not everyone is able to get out in the field multiple times a week and, and have a dog that's that's purely hunting driven. As you mentioned, the, the family dog is so critical and, and around young kids or just in general, just having someone in the house that, it, that can have that off switch is is important. It, it is, and, and their training goes with that. Um, in the Labradors, and this falls right on into the hunting season, like we're talking about this afternoon or this morning um, on the radio, is control and th that the dog is listening. And, and it starts at home. If, you know, we get a phone call where somebody says the dog won't quit jumping on people when uh, the company comes. Well, the first question out of our mouth is, who in the family allows the dog to jump? Because if it's a standard across the board is jumping is not allowed, when company comes, the dog won't jump on the company. If somebody allows the dog to jump over here and then not over here, then each individual person has to set that standard with that dog. So if there's a behavior that you don't like or don't want to have, it has to be consistent in the whole household through the whole family and kids. Well, I guess that's something that, you know, the moral of that that story there is is consistency is key with these dogs, whether you're talking about trying to, to get them to stop a, a behavior or try and continue and start a behavior. I guess consistency with everyone in the family. Everyone has to be on the same page. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, so someone's out there where, you know, the, the dog is, is not overweight, we're, we're, you know, being mindful of that. But we're trying to get this dog to, you know, maybe mark birds better or, or potentially, you know, re retrieve or, or drop better. I mean, what are some of these other things that you would be telling someone to try and get a dog ready for season and, and maybe keep them sharp? Okay, marking is a huge um thing to a dog and bird recovery so that you don't lose birds out there in the field and people take their dogs out and I know a lot of people don't have the opportunity to have a second person with them but if you always throw the bumpers from your side the dog typically watches from your side out to where it lands lands and goes if you really want to teach marking skills to your dog, you need to have somebody out there and throw in your marks for you so that the dog learns to look out and start judging depth perception better, and that will improve his marking skills a lot. Absolutely, and these are all small techniques that uh, are, are vitally important you know, for some, you know, getting, getting a dog trained to start with, but then maybe continuing. And, and what's so important, I think, is, you know, people, they'll, they'll get this dog 
trained up and, and they feel like it's ready, they'll go through a whole hunting season, but yet the dog might get rusty over the off season and, and taking the, you know, these, these dogs out and, and being able to continue and, and reinforce this training, it has to be critically important, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, I teach a gun dog safety seminar that I do um, around occasionally. And a couple of the key things that I tell everybody is um, you've taken, you clean your gun before you go out to the field and start your hunting season. It's no different with the dog. You've got to take them out, get them clean, get them prepared. A lot of these hunting preserves open up um, the 1st of September. So go out to a paid bird place, get your dog on some birds, get them in the field, do your tune-up at home before you go out on your hunt, and you're going to enjoy your hunt much better than to spend your first day in the field doing your tuning. So there's places and opportunities and places to get birds. The state of Colorado will let you pick up five to ten upland birds and use them within three days without having to have any special license or permit. So you can actually take your dog out and do stuff with them throughout the summer just to get them on birds and to keep them fresh and do it yourself if you got access to a place where you can release birds. If not, um, some of these preserves um, will let you go in and you know, if you brought your own birds and put them out during the off season when they're not selling them themselves. Sure. And, and, you know, keeping a uh, you know, a dog sharp, as you mentioned, there is, is vitally important, but changing the subject just a touch right now. Um, you know, when we're talking about this, this middle of the summertime training, or maybe getting into even early dove season, snakes can definitely be a big issue. You know, what are you doing to try and keep your dogs safe from snakes as you're training them in the summertime period or you're you're moving into that, that early dove season? Um, in the spring of the year, um, we normally try to host a snake avoidance clinic. I highly recommend. Um, we did not host one this year due to the gentleman passing away, but um, he's done a great job for us for many, many years. And we hope to continue to be able to offer that services. Um, there is some around uh, the state throughout the season. Most of them are done in the spring of the year before your dog's out there. But it is a vital deal. Whether you are a hiker that just walks the trails through these open spaces or whether you're actually got a hunting dog and you're going out in the field, I have had so many people over the years call me after they've been through our snake avoidance clinic and says, the dog saved me from stepping on the rattlesnake, sure. not just them avoiding it themselves. And you hear stories like that. And to put your dogs through that, it's a five to eight minute. Yes. They're going to get a little pressure through, through it. They use an e-collar um, to teach them to stay away from that scent. Um, a good snake avoidance clinic will use all the senses of the dogs, so they will use their noses to scent them. They'll typically tape a rattle on the rattle so that there's no sound involved. So they're using their eyes, their nose, they're smelling the scent. You stay away from that scent, and then they'll work them on a snake with the rattles so they add the sound into there too. And I get people saying, oh, I can grab a bull snake and do the same thing. A venomous snake puts off a different musk than a non-venomous snake. So you really are not getting the same 
type of snake avoidance if you're not using a venomous snake to put off that musk. But if you go through a rattlesnake one, it's good for copperheads, cottonmouth, because they'll put off all the same similar musk. Sure. Well, Dale, we're running out of time here real quick. If someone wants to talk to you about uh, a Labrador, what's your phone number? 303-681-LABS. So it's 303-681-5227. Dale, thank you so much for coming on. We certainly appreciate it. You betcha. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan.